0: Forevermore You have done great
1: things
0: And I know you will do it again For your promise is yes and amen Every captain and break every chain, oh God, you have done great.
2: everybody. Welcome to Watershed. Yeah. Hey, it's an exciting morning here. Uh, We, uh, I'm assuming many of you have received the email. Uh, We have a candidate here this morning, so uh, we're going to be welcoming Jonathan Owens up a little while later. Um, And then after service, I want to say this before I forget. Two things before I forget. After service today, like three minutes after we get done, we're going to take like a quick, use the restroom, wash your hands. There will be a couple like pre-packaged granola bars and stuff out there grab that come back in here because like three four minutes after service ends we're going to do a round table discussion kind of a question and answer time with jonathan and pastor darwin the other thing i want to make sure to mention is this is week two of children's ministry Woo! Uh, so after we finish singing you'll see a slide come up parents and when that slide comes up you can head out these side doors and uh i'm i believe sam has checked in with all of you who have paid kids who need to know where to go. If you're not sure, Sam's right over there in the corner holding a child. Wow. (laughs) Just, just holding it down over there, Sam. Good job. (laughs) Hey, so as we've been doing, we want to spend a couple minutes here uh, kind of centering ourselves, focusing in on what it is that we're here to do. I think oftentimes we come to church and, and we, we, oftentimes when we come to church, we're like, yeah, I'm ready to worship. This is great. And oftentimes when we don't feel like coming to church, we don't really show up. And that's, that is what it is, but I, I read an interesting quote this past week uh, by Eugene Peterson about worship in general. And I just want, maybe this is something to ponder as, as we kind of go into a quiet moment. But uh, he said, in regards to worship, we can, w- there will be times when we don't feel like worshiping. There's times when we do feel like worshiping. But we will never be able to feel our way into a new way of acting. But we'll be able to act our way into a new way of feeling. So if our desire is to be near to God or to be more like God or to have a closer relationship with Christ, we have to act into those things because our feelings are fleeting. So as we take a couple of seconds here, maybe you want to close your eyes, take a couple slow breaths, inhale deeply, exhale slowly. Maybe consider those words and consider what you're doing here this morning, how you want to act into a new way of feeling, into a new way of worshiping. Let's take a couple seconds. We <laughs> stand and sing with us.
0: Praise you in the valleys of the sea heartache all the
1: same.
2: Jesus, you truly are the heaven where our heart is. You bring heaven on earth. You bring peace. You bring love. You bring justice. You bring righteousness. You bring your shalom. You bring heaven to wherever we are, and you meet us in that place. So we praise you and we thank you for that because we don't have to climb up a mountain to find you. We don't have to cross any rivers. You meet us where we are. And so we praise you for that. We offer ourselves to you and we ask that your spirit move in ever deepening ways to draw us deeper into praise and to know you more deeply and more closely. Thank you that you are a God who meets us where we are and who hears us where we are. You know the concerns we have as individuals for our families for our community for our country you know them you meet them and you are sovereign over all of them this morning within our own watershed community we want to we want to lift up tom and sue stenginga uh, as they're mourning the loss of sue's mom uh, we just ask that you comfort them and, and give them peace in this time we say a praise that's uh, the, the scare with some abnormalities with Anthony Paola's heart has been, has been uh, resolved and solved and we just thank you for your providence in that and for your caring for him and for Sarah and for Julia. And we lift up Pete Dexter as he's going into surgery soon and we just ask that you guide the surgeon's hands, that you calm uh, Pete and Shard with any nerves they may have and that you keep the family uh, calm and surrounded in your hands. Thank you that you are God who does these things. Thank you that you meet us in this place. And thank you that you draw us into worship even now. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You guys can be seated. And uh, as you're sitting, um, I'd like to invite uh, Jonathan Owens. to Come on up and he's going to give us a sermon.
3: So many moving pieces. (laughs) Oh, good morning again. It is nice to meet you. It's great to worship with you this morning. Again, my name is Jonathan. I'm a pastor of a little church out in Bozeman, Montana. So hearing a song about mountains just is always nice. Uh, It has been super nice to be here this week, enjoying your fall colors and the pleasantly warm weather that you have had. No, really, you have no idea. Bozeman is getting six inches of snow today. (laughs) And it's not the first snowfall of the year. Now, I've got to admit, I am a little bit nervous this morning, uh, but that's probably because you've already been so nice and hospitable to us this past week. So just thank you so much for welcoming my family and I to your church. And I am flattered and thankful that we can join you this morning as we read and contemplate our text for today. So I often open up our teaching with some kind of story to connect us with our text. And the story that we're going to read today is actually such a good narrative all by itself that I think we should just dive right into it. And as we do so, I want to ask for the Holy Spirit to lead us in our study this morning. So please join with me in prayer. Dear Lord, you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Please breathe your spirit upon us so that we would hear what it is that you have for each of us. Amen. Now, we're going to be reading from the book of Daniel this morning. Chapter 5, yes, we're going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read all of it at once so that we can hear it just like the original audience did. And then we will circle back and dig into the text. If you want to follow along, we will have the words up here on the screen. But if you brought your own Bible, Daniel is pretty easy to find. Just open up to the middle and you'll be in the Psalms. And then flip. To the right, and you will pass three of the longest books in the Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, which is the longest book in the Bible, Ezekiel, and after Ezekiel, we get Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. And as we read, I also invite you to just listen. Maybe even close your eyes and use your imagination Uh, as you complete the picture with this just wonderful, wonderful text. So again, I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the, the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and will have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all of the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing on the wall or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale, his nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom Like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what this writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles that my father brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed with purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and people of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. And those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride... He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself though you knew all of this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank from them, and you praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life, and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. Here is what these words mean. Many, God has, sum- has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of sixty-two. That's pretty epic, isn't it? And it's a little spooky, too. Folk are having a party, and a mysterious hand appears. An ominous message is written, and then there's a murder. At about 2,500 years old, this story is still so intriguing that it serves as a backdrop to a lot of stuff that is written today. But again, it is an ancient tale. So I think it would be worth our while to look at a few pieces of it to set the context of what's going on. Now, in the past few weeks, I have heard uh, that you've learned of this great Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar. He's the guy who famously sacks Jerusalem and hauls it off into what has become known as the Babylonian captivity. He reigned for a long time and had some seriously life-changing encounters with the true God, Israel's God. That ended chapter 4 on a pretty high note. Well, now we're in chapter 5 in Daniel, and it is a long time later. Daniel is an old man by now, and the king at the center of this story isn't really a king at all. Let's look at those opening verses again. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So who was King Belshazzar? Or rather, in Babylon's mother tongue, Akkadian, we'd call him Belsarusar. Well, Belsarusar wasn't actually the great king Nebuchadnezzar's son. He was maybe a grandson or a distant nephew who, according to Babylonian records, was put in charge of the kingdom while the actual king, a guy named Nabonidus, Uh, was vacationing out by the Mediterranean, which he apparently did all the time, sometimes for ten years at a stretch. The things you can do as a king, imagine taking vacation for ten years. That might explain what happened to his kingdom at the end of this chapter. Well, this passage takes place during one of those long trips, and this guy, Belsarusor, was left in charge of things. And what does he do? He throws a party and invites the who's who of the Babylonian aristocracy. I mean, that's what I would do, right? What a great way to show off how powerful and rich you are. And wanting to impress all of these folk, he calls for slaves, who are probably Jewish, to go down into grandfather's treasury and bring up the cup's and the serving ware that were stolen from Solomon's glorious temple in Jerusalem. Shows what Belsarosar knew about the past. These cups were so sacred that Nebuchadnezzar, who stole them, didn't even dare to use them. Imagine the feelings that would have been brought up inside the slaves who had to serve their Babylonian masters with these sacred, holy things that have been stolen from their temple. Horrible, right? And that's how this whole story starts off for its listeners. It's offensive. An upstart, foolish, uninformed, stand-in ruler throws a party to show his guests how awesome he is. And from there on, it is calamity after calamity. First, a hand appears out of nowhere in full view of everyone there and writes this on the wall. And then, just for fun, we have to take a look at the reaction to this sight. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. I mean, you'd be kind of scared too, right? If you had a party and in the middle of it you had all your friends around you and this hand appeared by itself with no body attached to it and it starts writing something on the wall that you can't read, you might even react like Belsarosar. The New International Version, which is the translation I've been reading out of, puts this really gently, saying that his knees were knocking but the literal Hebrew says, the bones of his loins let loose. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a little more serious than just shaking a bit. When it says, his loins let loose? But the point is, Belsarusar is frightened out of his mind. Feelings that definitely didn't let up when his advisors and wise men failed to read what had been written by this mysterious hand. Things are going so badly down in the throne room that his mom has to come downstairs to see what's going on. We don't know who this woman is exactly, but it's clear that she has a level head and is far wiser than this stand-in king. In the Aramaic that this section of Daniel is written in, she's called the Queen Mother, all caps. So this could actually be Belshazzar's mom or a grandma, maybe even Nebuchadnezzar's wife. So she knows her way around the kingdom, and she clearly has enough authority to just walk into the throne room unchallenged, which would have been unheard of. And what does she say? Look back to verse 10. The queen mother comes in and tells the king to get a hold of himself and then directs him to the chief wise wise man of Nebuchadnezzar's day, who happens to still be living in the palace. And as we know, Daniel has been blessed with wisdom and understanding, and even more important, a really close relationship with God. And so Daniel follows the summons, shows up, and drops knowledge all over the place. First, he rejects the king's gifts and titles, probably because he already has all of those after years of personal service to Nebuchadnezzar, and then gives a brief history lesson before reading those ominous words on the wall. Turns out, Balsarusar is even more proud of himself than his ancestors. This is something that we can see in his actions. He profanes, or makes Ordinary, the special things that were sacred and important to God, and then worships idols, all things that he, as Nebuchadnezzar's heir, should have known better about. But somehow he missed or forgot the message that it is God who holds his life and his ways. And so, because of his failure to humble himself, like his grandfather did, Balsarusar gets this special message in view of everybody at his party that Daniel now explains. In our text, it puts it this way. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. Here is what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the scale, or tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. Ouch. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then, closing the chapter, we get this. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of sixty-two. According to the Babylonian records of Nabonidus, who, if you remember, was the real king who was off on vacation while all this was happening, while this party was going on, the Persians tunneled under the walls of the palace, and spies snuck in and killed the whole of the ruling class that night. That's pretty epic, isn't it? Foolish prince throwing a sacrilegious party, mysterious hand writing on the wall, a sage who can interpret it, and murder. But with all of that, what does any of it actually have to do with us? We're not the Babylonians. We're not Daniel. We're certainly not Belsarusar. So where do we fit into all of this thousands of years later? Well, one of the things that we see whenever we read the Bible is that times have changed. History marches on, context and society changes, but people, we, we stay pretty much the same. Today or 3,000 years ago, people think and act and interact with each other in the same ways, in which case we can say that one of the morals of this story is not to be like Belsarusar. I mean, that should be easy, Right? None of us have access to golden cups that have been stolen from Solomon's temple. And while I assume that we don't have idols of wood and stone and such, or do we? Perhaps with a little time spent in reflecting on or examining our lives, we might actually find more similarities than we're comfortable with. I know that I can with my own life. So perhaps try something like this in the next few days. Find a quiet place, which for some of us might just be sitting in our car before we leave for work. And spend some time in prayer and a little bit of silence. Start by taking a deep breath and ask God to show you the areas of your life or you've taken something that God has made special or sacred and not treated it very well or ignored it. Maybe it's a relationship that you have neglected. Perhaps it's not taking advantage of the opportunities for rest and enjoyment that God built into our world. Maybe it's something else. And you just sit there then in the silence that follows and wait to see what God might have to say to you. Perhaps you'll not hear anything, and that's okay. It's just an invitation to try again later. And after that, you could ask God to show you the things in your own life that you praise, that you trust to give you safety and security that are not God, but are wood or stone or metal or maybe even other people things like your cell phone or your political party or maybe even your career, then take those things, take those places where your attention and your trust is a bit misplaced and ask God for help in understanding what the right relationship to them is. And often, doing this kind of internal work is really difficult. It's hard work. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. Because as we see throughout the whole of the Bible, most of the characters in it are not much like Daniel. They are selfish, they're fearful, they're mistrusting, they get things wrong. More often than not, they're misguided. But God loves them all and takes care of them. Which is the other message that lies behind the passage that we read today. See, part of the whole purpose of the book of Daniel, a book with stories of high adventure and dramatic rescue and some of the most intense prophecy in the whole Bible, the purpose is to serve as a book of comfort, a book of hope for those who feel trapped. Even though Israel is in captivity, and the world spins in chaos around them, God has not forgotten them, nor has God forgotten anyone else. God is in control, and through all kinds of different means, God is working through history to make this world into what it needs to be. In this case, with the death of Belsarusar, the events are put into motion that lead to the freeing of Israel from captivity. But of course, God didn't stop there. God has continued to walk with us through history, to be involved in it, and to draw us all towards the reconciliation that is promised in Jesus. And that's where we find our hope when we read stories like this. Though our life might not be as dramatic as Daniel's, we can see God's hand at work, sometimes writing warnings for us, but even more often seeing how God is taking care of us even when we're completely unaware of it. Through all of history, God is there. We are never abandoned, and all we have to do to experience that truth is to turn to God and learn to live into life as it was designed to be lived, something that Daniel spends his whole life trying to teach the rulers of Babylon and Persia. So that's your challenge for today. Seek out God and pray that you are shown areas of your life that steal your attention away from God. And at the same time, rest in the assurance that even when we can't get things right, which is more often than we would like to admit, that God is still actively working in and around us anyway. And when you engage in those things, when you try to work with God in reframing and readjusting your life to live into who God has called you to be, the more that you will find that you are living in a reality where you get to see and feel and taste heaven right here on earth. And all of those places where life is working as it should. Where we trust in God alone for our safety and our security. And where we get to open our arms wide like Jesus. To invite in friends and family and neighbors into that experience. So they can have it too. And by doing that, you will do what Belsarusar could never do. You'll be honoring God, the one who holds your life in all of your ways. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Dear Lord, you know your children and how often we don't take care of what you give us, how we chase after other gods, how we look to others for the security and love that only you can provide. Please give to us the spirit of Daniel, hearts that know you, hearts that know how much we are loved by you, and how you watch over us and take care of us. Finally, as we learn to live into the blessings that you give, teach us to reach out and share those gifts with all that we meet, so that all may know you're never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. We stand
2: serious. <laughs>
0: another.
3: Server.